Well, good morning, Transit. Uh, greetings in the name of Christ from Redemption City Church up in Frederick. Uh, my joy to be here this morning with you. Uh, it's uh, about three years ago. In fact, do we have a picture of my family? About, about three years ago, my family and I, um, that's them. I love, uh, Laurel cracks me up because it's just, she's the sweetest kid out of the two of them and just got that mean mug though, right? Um, <clears throat> but my family and I moved up to Frederick about three years ago to help God plant uh, what would be Redemption City Church in downtown Frederick. Uh, since the very beginning, Transit has not only been partnering with us financially, uh, but also through prayers and through friendship. Uh, Jeff has just become a very close brother in ministry, um, and so I'm grateful to be with you today uh, so much. And I could spend our whole entire time this morning talking about all of God's grace at Redemption City Church. And whenever I come into a church that's partnered with us in one way or another, I always think about Paul's words at the end of the, ch- at the, end of the letter to the church in Philippi, where he thanks him. The church in Philippi was one, of their, was one of his biggest supporting churches in his ministry. And at the very end of the letter, he says, not that I want the gift, but what I desire is the fruit that increases to your credit. Um, and so know that you're going to spend uh, part of your time with the king in eternity hearing stories about what happened at Redemption City Church because it's fruit to your increase uh, and, and, and fruit to your credit. And so we are, we are grateful for that. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 75. Um, so if you would, uh, turn to Psalm chapter 75. Uh, if, you ha- if you don't have a copy of Holy Scripture this morning, uh, then there are Bibles at the very end of your row, which you can grab. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, I'm a little old school in this, but if you wouldn't mind standing, uh, and I'm going to read God's Word, um, and then I'll pray over it, uh, and then we can jump into the text. And so, uh, again, this morning we're in Psalm 75, so listen now with open ears to the words we love, Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with a haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness come lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, you promise us in Isaiah chapter 55 that your word falls on our souls like water on the ground. And what it produces is life and fruit abundant. And so we pray now, Lord, as we sit under both the reading and teaching of your word, that it would fall on our souls, that you would do what only you can do, which is call sinners to repentance, but that you would call those sinners in their repentance to set their eyes on Christ. And so, Lord, we pray now just a prayer of blessing over our time together. Lord, may you be glorified and made known. And Christ, it is in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I would imagine that if I were to, if we were to go around the room and we were to all answer the question, what gives us the most joy in life, uh, there's probably going to be a lot of different answers, but I am probably, and if I were a betting man, I'd put a lot of money on one answer we would not hear right now, which is, man, you know what just gives me a lot of joy is just watching the news. 
is reading the newspaper, is listening to NPR, whatever it is that you, well, NPR maybe a little bit so because they, they dip in and out of the news from time to time and I get a little bit of American life and sometimes it gives me joy. Uh, but my guess would be that most of us would say, no, there's not much joy that I get from watching the news. Why? Because it is just full of headlines that reveal the darkness of our culture, uh, that reveal the brokenness of this world. Um, and uh, there, in fact, even as I was looking at the newspaper this morning and, and flipping through the news on my phone as I was getting ready this morning, I, I was just, instead of reading headlines, it was just, it was headline after headline about violence, about dishonesty, about selfishness, about pride, about sectarianism, about uh, one biased over the other. Uh, there was perverse headlines. Like it was just, it just sucks the life out of you. And in many ways, it is a reflection of our culture. And it even makes sense why we are so obsessed with power, uh, why we're so obsessed with the leaders who promise us power, why we're so obsessed with trying to fix our own lives and sort of become the buttress of stability within our home, within our businesses, within our schools, um, within our very lives. And I don't know about you, but I, I read the news and I sort of step back and I look around and I can't help but ask the question, will there ever be any justice? Why so much injustice? Why so much brokenness? Why so much sin? And if you've ever found yourself asking that question, well, you have a good friend in the Psalms, uh, because if you'll notice at the, probably in the subtitles above Psalm 75 in your Bible, you see a name come up, which is named Asaph. And if you're familiar at all, again, if you've ever asked this question, like, why does the Lord tarry at times in justice? Why is he just? What does that mean? And you ever study in the Psalms, Asaph is a guy who's going to come up a lot because in the 12 Psalms that he is attributed to writing within the book of Psalms, the, the big theme within his Psalms are, are justice, are, are longing for justice. Even in a few Psalms before in, in 73 verses one through three, he says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph looks around and goes, I'm obeying you, Lord. The meditations of my heart are pure. Your nation loves you. And yet there are nations that surround us. There are neighbors next to me that they materialistically prosper in a way that would make sense for the people of God, but not for the wicked. God, will you not be just? In fact, a lot of times within the Psalms, when you sort of see this phrase come up, how long, O Lord, at the root of a lot of the anger emotion that you find within the Psalms is the question, will God be just? Just And so if you've ever asked that question, even as you just flip through the news, whether you ask it out loud or just you find yourself thinking about it, again, Asaph is a good companion for us. Um, and in fact, Psalm 75, the psalm that we're going to look at briefly this morning, gives us an answer to the question, is God just? Will God be just? What kind of judge is he? And so I want to sort, uh, I want to have that question in the back of our minds as we now move through this Psalm. And so let's step into the psalm. First and foremost, the psalm opens with a thanksgiving to God. Verse 1, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. Asaph begins by saying, we give thanks for your name is near. Now, what name is this? Well, this is Yahweh. This is the name that God reveals to Abraham, to Isaac, to Joseph, to Jacob, to Moses. 
Um, in Exodus 6, 2 through 3, which is one of the more well-known times this, this name is used, God is speaking to Moses and he says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Now in our Bible, it doesn't say Yahweh, rather it says Lord in all caps. So anytime you see in your Bible, Lord in all caps, that's not an editor's mistake. Um, that's just the way of translating Yahweh over into the English and distinguishing it from other names of God, because it's important because what we find, uh, well, let me go Go through in verse 3 of Exodus 6. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. This Yahweh, this Lord, this name that Asaph rejoices in is the covenantal name of God. It is the covenantal name of God both in the Old Testament and for those of us in Christ. It is the covenantal name of God for us, the people of God. And so God's name, just as it was near to Asaph, is near to us as well because he's chosen to dwell with us, his church. We are his temple. Asaph had to go to the temple to experience the presence of God. You and I are walking around with the very spirit of Christ inside of us. Thus, we are always at all times do we have the name of God near and so how then should we praise him? Well, again, uh, at the beginning of verse one, he says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. And then this is how we praise him. In the second half of verse one, we recount your wondrous deeds. We recount your wondrous needs. Now, again, what Asaph is thinking about is the Exodus, the great story of, the, of God bringing his people out of 400 years of slavery, giving them Moses, delivering them, bringing them through their baptism, which Paul tells us was them crossing the Red Sea. Paul says that's their baptism. And just as we come out of the baptism waters being reminded that we are no longer slaves and will never be slaves again, so they too, uh, the Bible actually tells us that as they stood on the shore, Shore. They watched the bodies of the Egyptian soldiers wash up on shore. They saw their slave drivers, the bodies roll up in the sand. It was God's way coming out of their baptism by which he reminded them, you are no longer slaves and you will never be slaves again. And then, but that's not the fullness of the promise. The fullness of the promise is the promised land. So he brings them uh, by conquering nations, by sustaining them with bread from heaven in the desert. He sustains his people as he does with the Lord's Supper. This is our bread from heaven. Uh, and it does not stop. Joshua 12 tells us that the bread from heaven doesn't stop until they eat the bread of the promised land. And so too for us, we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday until our resurrection, at which point we will no longer need to come to these tables because we will be seated at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Uh, and so Asaph is thinking of the Exodus story, but as I've already alluded to, for us, we cannot help here but think of Christ when we think about God's wondrous deeds, that just as the Israelites were led out of Egypt, and we are being led out of our sin by the deliverer that is Christ. And we are headed toward our promised land, our Zion, which is the new heavens and the new earth in our resurrected bodies. And the Lord, as he promised to sustain his people, has promised to sustain us along the way. And so in Christ, we are no longer slaves and we will never be slaves again. In fact, in Christ, the worst thing that could ever happen to you could happen to you. Paul tells us in Galatians that in Christ, we have died with him. That's not some like happy-go-lucky, slap it on a Thomas Kincaid, sort of put it on a coffee mug type of statement. That is a deeply theological statement. Here's what Paul is saying. The worst thing that could ever happen to you happened to you. 2,000 years ago, you were taken outside the, the walls of Jerusalem. You were crucified. You, you struggled to 
breathed, you drowned on your own blood. The worst thing that could have ever happened to you happened to you. But the good news of the gospel is the best thing that could ever happen to you has already happened because three days later in Christ, you walked out of the grave. And now you await the full consummation of the reality that is somehow already true. Why Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says, though our outer self wastes away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Why? Because he says, what we see is transient, but what we do not see is eternal. Because again, the Bible teaches us that within, within Christianity, we believe in, the, in an invisible reality and a visible reality, and that the invisible reality is actually more real than the visible reality and more important. So we give thanks as we recount his wondrous deeds. And so Asaph instructs us to praise God according to his wondrous deeds through Christ. But now we have the Lord himself who's going to speak and instruct us to pray with trust. Verse 2, at the set time. So this is now the voice of Yahweh, the voice of God. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. Now notice, it is not with equality that God judges. It is with equity. There's a difference there between judging with equality and judging with equity. Uh, This is a theme that we pick up in books like the Psalms, Proverbs, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Matthew, Romans, 2 Corinthians, 2 Peter, and finally Revelation. And it's this idea that God will judge each man according to his own deeds. While we have all fallen and are in sin in Christ, we will be judged according to our transgressions at the appointed time. And until then, what God promises is that none of the earth or its inhabitants will be moved. What Asaph is displaying here is the power of God. We see a world falling apart, but these verses say in the midst of the chaos, God is powerful. His hand will not be forced. And so again, when we look at a world in turmoil with the, with the threat of things like North Korea or global warming, whatever it is, whichever side you fall, whatever, whatever concerns you most in this time, what we recognize is even in the face of disaster and war, God's hand will not be forced. We cannot force hand, force God's hand into bringing the time of judgment before the appointed time. This is why Christ over and over again in the gospel says, no one takes my life from me. I give it willingly. In fact, one of the big themes of Mark's gospel is that Christ is in control the entire time. That Christ is in control the entire time, all the way up to Golgotha. Even being put in the grave, Christ is in control the entire time. And three days later, he rises as the king whose control is embodied. And so we can pray with trust because even the events of the world are not beyond his control. But instead, we are being kept steady by God's hand. I love his statement there. It is I who keeps steady its pillars. It is I who keeps steady its foundations. But we also have a warning from the Lord for those who would see themselves not as subject to God's control. To those, This is the warning to those who don't see themselves as needy who don't see themselves in need of a God who is control of the pillars of a tumultuous world. And here's the warning in verse four. I say to the boastful, do not boast. I say to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with a haughty neck. This is a call to repentance by a judge who is patient. 
We're not used to this. We're not used to coming face to face with a judge who is patient. And yet Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We have a judge who calls us to repentance. Those who do not see ourselves as needy, those who are not in Christ, he calls us to repentance because that's what he desires. He's never regretted your repentance. He's never regretted you asking for forgiveness, confessing your sins. It's what he desires. And so if you fall into the category of the boastful or the wicked as seeing yourself as the pillar that upholds your world, then call upon Christ so that you might be saved on, those, on that day of judgment. Asaph continues in verse 6, or this is actually, again, this is God. Uh, For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness come lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up the other. Again, we have a restating here of God's power and his ability to judge the world. And so we are admonished to look to God for trust. And so this, this passage encourages us to look nowhere but God for our salvation. Political activism is good. Voting is good. But these things are not salvation. And so we look to him. Verse 8, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Now, maybe foaming wine, like spiced wine, sounds good to you, uh, but this was actually not a good thing. This, was, this is intended, the reason why Asaph includes this is because this image is supposed to shock us, and here's why. Because this image of the cup uh, goes from Genesis to Revelation. I want to call our attention uh, to one place in particular, and that's the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, if you have your Bibles, flip over to Jeremiah chapter 25. Um, this cup is not something that we look forward to like the cup uh, at, the, at the Lord's table, uh, but rather this is the cup of judgment. Listen to uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah in verses 15 and 16. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of, uh, of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink it and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. And then look down at verse 28. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. For behold, I began to work disaster at the city that is called by my name. uh, And shall you go unpunished? When we read that this is the cup of judgment in Psalm 75, What we should be overwhelmed with isn't fear, but awe and gratefulness for God's mercy. Because family, this is the cup that that Christ drank that dark day in Jerusalem. The gospel writers tell us that shortly before Jesus is betrayed, after he celebrated Passover for the last time, uh, pre-resurrected with his disciples, um, that he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Uh, Mark tells us in chapter 14, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. It's the beginning of Psalm 75. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. 
that's toward the end of Psalm 75. Yet not that I will, but you will. And what do we know? That Christ went and drank this cup full. What should have drowned us, the wrath of God that should have drowned us, is drunk willingly by the Savior. And so Asaph is looking forward to this. He's like, justice is coming. Fill up the cups. What he did not know, would it, would it, that it would be God, the Son, in the flesh that would drink it. The same Yahweh, whose name he's afraid to use, is the one who would drink the cup. Because what does Jesus say? Before Moses was, I am. Jesus has taken the covenantal name. Asaph would have not known, he would have had no framework for this, that Christ would drink and that Christ would drink deeply. And so I think that we can thank God for his goodness and his mercy because Christ died for a broken, rebellious, boastful, and proud people. And so Asaph's response in verses 9 through 10 is appropriate, but I will declare it forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. He knows that God's judgment will come at the right time, that the righteous will be lifted up, that there is sin in the world, there is brokenness, there is loss, but there is a Savior, Christ the King, who was in the beginning, is now, and forever shall be. And so to close, what I long to do is I long to just draw our souls to fix our eyes on that Savior. That in the midst of a tumultuous world, we would fix our eyes on the one who has drunk fully the cup of wrath and has resurrected victorious on the other side. And I want to do it. Uh, this past week, I came across in a book called On God and Christ uh, by an old guy named uh, St. Gregory of Nazianius. Uh, and he wrote um, early on in the second century. Um, he was trying. He was. He was wrestling with um, this this paradox of of God the Son, divine, the only, the third member of the Trinity, who also became flesh. And it's probably uh, the first and second century theologians, even into the medieval times, had a way of just making theology beautiful. Um, and so I want to read this because again, I want us to set our minds and our hearts on Christ in the midst of a world full of chaos. In the midst of a world full of, of war and pain and seemingly no light at the end of the tunnel, what we know is our hope is attached to Christ. Our hope is attached to this Christ. As man, he was baptized, but he absolved sins as God. He needed no purifying rites himself. His purpose was to bless water. As man, he was put to the test, but as God, he came through victorious. Yes, he bids us be of good cheer because he has conquered the world. He hungered, yet he fed thousands. He is indeed living heavenly bread. He thirsted, yet he exclaimed, whoever thirsts, let him come and drink. Indeed, he promised that believers would become fountains. He was tired, yet he is the rest of the weary and the burdened. He was overcome by heavy sleep, yet he goes lightly over the sea. He rebukes the winds and relieves the drowning Peter. He pays tax, yet he uses fish to do it. Indeed, he is the emperor over those who demand the tax. He is called a Samaritan, a Samaritan demon-possessed, but he rescues the man who came down from Jerusalem and fell among the thieves. 
Yes, he is recognized by demons. He drives out demons. He drowns deep a legion of spirits and sees the prince of demons falling like lightning. He is stoned, yet not hit. He prays, yet he hears prayer. He weeps, yet he puts an end to weeping. He asks where Lazarus is laid. He was a man, yet he he raises Lazarus from the dead. He was God. He is sold, and the price was cheap. 30 pieces of silver, yet he buys back the world at the mighty cost of his own blood. A sheep he has led to the slaughter, yet he shepherds Israel and now the whole world as well. A lamb, he is dumb, yet he is word proclaimed by the voice crying in the wilderness. He is weakened, wounded, yet he cures every disease and every weakness. He is brought up to the tree and nailed to it, yet by the tree he restores life. Yes, he saves even a thief crucified with him. He wraps all the visible world in darkness. He has given vinegar to drink, gall to eat, and who is he? Why, one who turned away water into wine, one who took away the taste of bitterness, who is all sweetness and desire. He surrenders his life, yet he has power to take it again. Yes, the veil is torn, for things of heaven have been revealed. Rocks have been split. Dead men have been given earlier awakening. He dies, but he vivifies, and by death destroys death. He is buried, and he rises again. He goes down to Hades, and yet he leads souls up. He is sins to heaven and will come again to judge the living and the dead. So to Asaph's question, is there justice? We stand back and say, yes, there is justice. There is a judge. There is a day. So let's be found in our Savior when that day comes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who was in the beginning, is now, and forever shall be. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, seated on your throne, high and lifted up, we give thanks for your name is near, and we recount your wondrous deeds. And so in the midst of a world that is tumultuous, we look to you, the one who steadies it at its very foundation. Lord, we turn our eyes and our hearts to you. Uh, Christ, I pray now a spirit for uh, the men and women in this room, uh, that for those of us in Christ, that what we would find this morning is encouragement for our weary souls. Rest in the one who was tired and yet conquered the winds and the seas, uh, that we would find grace in the one who experienced the fullness of your wrath. For those outside of, of you, Christ, I pray that you would stir their hearts and their desire for a king, for a creator, for a lover like what was put on display this morning, and that what they would find in you is more than they could have ever asked or thought. And so we love you, Christ, and it is in your name we pray. Amen.